You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. And in today's show, I am going to be talking about the Arcana Silver investment thesis, how it's become a very disappointing in light of recent occurrences. Uh, this is a stock that we featured on this show for about two years. I was an investor uh, right at the beginning of when we began to feature it, and uh, it's gone up a lot and came down even below where it was when we initially started featuring it. So it's been a big disappointment for many of you. I've seen your emails, I've got your messages, and I want to talk through four things. Why I invested in Arcana to begin with, two, the biggest objections that I received from people I talked to two about the investment thesis when I first invested, as well as feedback through YouTube comments and messages, some of your thoughts that you shared it with me when we originally began to feature the company, and three, why I just sold out of my position at about 18 cents Canadian. I fully exited, sold my last 120,000 shares at about 18, 19 cents Canadian last week, and four, what would I do differently or what did I learn? With any investment thesis, And any speculation you take in the junior mining sector, you want to own it. The only thing you can control is yourself. And so when something doesn't go as planned, you have to learn from it because that's what you take into the future to hopefully make better decisions. But in saying that, this wasn't a loss for me. I invested at 22 cents Canadian with a full warrant at 37 and a half cents. And when we originally focused on this company in early 2020, It was trading low 20 cent, mid 20 cent range Canadian. And then it went up to a buck 25 ish, I remember. So at the peak there, I was sitting on a nine, tenfold gain. So it was basically a 10 bagger for me at that point because you consider the in the money portion of the warrants. You know, a buck 25 minus a warrant you could exercise at 37 and a half cents. And that added up to about a a nine bagger, nine or 10 bagger. And when I did the calculations here and and preparing for this monologue, I ended up with about a a threefold uh, from my initial capital. So even though I sold my last chunk of shares below what I originally purchased them, my, my, my first batch I purchased at 22 cents and selling out at 18 cents, overall, I still made about 200% on this investment uh, over the two years that I owned it. So it's not a loss, but it is a huge disappointment because this one, if they were able to bring the Ure Silver Mine, the Revenue Virginia Silver Mine in Ure, Colorado, into production, grow it out, consolidate the district like they talked about, and then bring in their second permitted shaft or mine into production, uh, this was easily a multi-dollar stock. And then you throw in the expected silver bull market, whenever that would occur. I know silver is not doing so good at the time of this recording, but I'm still very bullish over the next years for the silver price. If you add in a silver price to a growing multi-asset silver producer, it easily could go into the multi-dollar range uh, for for the stock. And this would have been a stock I purchased at 22 cents with the 37 and a half warrant. And so that's why we invest in these, these mining stocks. So going back to why would you invest in Arcana Silver and why did I invest in Arcana Silver? I'll point out by saying that they had two 
permitted silver mines in Colorado and Texas in the United States. Primary silver, you know, there's lead and there's zinc there also, but it's, it's a primary silver mine. So you, you show me where you can find permitted silver mines, especially in the states that are primarily silver. There's just not a lot of silver investments out there. So if you're a silver bull, you're limited to some select companies. And if you want a going into production story, you're, you're very limited because a lot of these companies, even when they lift up the upside, you know, the permitting process takes absolutely forever. So with Arcana, the, the permitting risk was totally removed. They had permits at two projects. They had a stated pipeline, so there was growth prospects, and the valuation, the market cap, when I invested, was very low. It was like 30 million Canadian, or it might have even dipped down into the high $20 million range Canadian for the market cap. So considering what they had, that was a very compelling and low entry point from my perspective. They were a near-term producer, and there was a low CapEx relatively low capex burden to overcome and i was as i stated expecting silver to rise so that's the jits of the investment thesis and beyond that i met for two years in a row with the arcana management at the beaver creek precious metal summit so that's where when you go to these conferences you may not buy the stock right away but you get to get a feel for management over some a couple years meeting them getting updates on the story before you pull the trigger. That's what happened uh, in this case. Now, what were some of the biggest objections I faced when I told some of my friends and smart people in the sector that I was investing in Arcana? Or when I originally featured uh, Arcana, and honestly, that first day when I put out the first interview with Kevin Drover, the CEO, a lot of very angry people and a lot of negative feedback came back. And it had to do with um, Arcana's past and their failure. They were a failed story. They did have a mind taken from them. They lost the assets and they didn't fulfill in the last cycle what they told investors they would. And so those that lifted that up, you're 100% right. You know, Arcana was a failure and it would often be pointed out, well, Eric Sprott, this is one of the few silver companies that Eric Sprott would not invest in. And that's because he lost a lot of money and it was bitter losing a lot of money on the, on the last Arcana story and, and getting the La Negra mine taken away from them and just the mismanagement that occurred. And that kind of leads into the second objection or point B of, for the first objection, which is it was Kevin Drover's fault. And that was often pointed out that how can you invest with Kevin Drover considering Arcana's past and how they destroyed investor capital? The third objection was it's a small mine. And just looking at the feasibility study for the RV mine and some of the past challenges of the Shafter mine, that there's not enough meat on the bone to take a risk. And so let me uh, address those. As I For point number one, I agree, Arcana was a failure story. In fact, I told management, please change your name. You know, you're a different company now with this, this new project. You destroyed <laughs> shareholders' value. Uh, the name is tainted. Choose a new name. Put the word silver in it. Colorado silver or whatever. Just come up with a name. But there's, there's too much baggage attached to the old name. Management... Wanted to keep the old name. They said it was good for getting meetings because people would recognize the name when, when they would do investor meetings in Europe and so forth. So they kept the name. 
But it was a different company in that they did a share rollback. This was a completely new project. It was a fresh start for new investors that would come in that didn't get burned in the previous iteration of Arcana. And the objection that Kevin Drover was at fault for the previous disaster of of Arcana, uh, I didn't agree with that. And I did research it, and I did go back to management, and I did ask about Kevin's involvement in the, the, the previous disaster of Arcana losing its mine and Shafter not coming into production. Shafter's the mine in Texas, uh, and they tried to bring it into production, I believe, on a PEA, not a feasibility study, which is not smart. And the story that I uh, accepted was that the, the, the previous CEO made a lot of promises, didn't run the company well, and basically put the, the company in a position to fail. And of course, the silver price was crashing during this time too, from you know, two thir- 2013 on. And so if you're having problems at your mine and the product that you sell, silver, is going down and down and down in value, you know, it, it's very difficult. But Kevin came in and he tried to cut cost and basically tried to stop the snowball. The snowball was already rolling down the hill. And once it gets some moment, momentum, it's very hard to stop it. Maybe you could slow it down a little, but you know, in the end, it's just going to plow you over. And that's what's happened. So Kevin didn't make all the decisions that led up to the, the, the failed first iteration of Arcana. And so I, I met with him. I found him to be a pleasant individual. And based on some of his past experience and his fruit, what I understood to be his frugalness and his commitment to bring this mine into production, I was willing to give him a shot, which I did. The objection that it's a small mine, it's, it's just that was not true and or that there's not a growth profile. I'll say three things to that. Number one, I did a video in the summer of 2020, a 40-minute video where I went there, a site tour, and I went underground and then on top of the mountains with Brian Briggs, who is the chief operating officer, or was at the time, and he showed the prospectivity. He showed the prospectivity of what they have in their claim block, in the claims that they were going to acquire, how they were the only mover and shaker in that region, how there were other past producing mines literally like next door. I've, I've been there to that mine three times. I've seen them that they could acquire and that they could ramp up production even beyond their, their 500 ton per day mill, uh, which they had and, and had permitted. So there was an, uh, the ability to, to potentially even bring two mills into production through, through close acquisitions right in that region. So there was the growth story that I could see. Also, when you understand a narrow vein mine, and if you're going to look just at a feasibility study and say, hey, there's not a lot of silver here, you have to understand that when you have a narrow vein mine, this is not a open pick bulk tonnage deposit. If you were to drill from the top of a mountain, I mean, how many hundreds of meters or thousands of meters would you have to go to reach the mineralization? And what are your chances of even hitting it? It's a narrow vein mine. I've, I've been there. I've been underground there. I've, I've, I've touched the vein. You know, sometimes it was 12 inches. Other times it was 18 inches, maybe 24 inches or more at times. But I don't even know how you could vector in and hit that. And you, you just follow the vein as, as an underground miner. You follow the vein as it goes. So you constantly have five to three to six years of reserve ahead of you because you're drilling it out as you go. You follow the vein. So 
that's the reasonable explanation or counterpoint to those that say, oh, well, it was a small mine. Just, just look at what they have here in the feasibility study. And then often no, no potential value was given to Shafter. And again, that's a permanent mine with, with infrastructure and a mill already in place there in Texas, that if they got the RV mine up and running and they produced cash flow, they could then bring that mine into production. So those were the counterpoints that were reasonable to me based on the feedback and the objections that were, were given to me. And so why did I sell? I just told you I sold out for a threefold gain, 200% gain after being up basically a nine or 10 bagger at one point at its peak valuation. And of course, nobody can sell their entire position at a peak valuation. You know, you go, you have a huge winner that becomes an okay winner. And then you go back and you look at the chart and you say, oh man, if I only just sold here, well, nobody knows when the exact top is. And even if you hit the exact top, a lot of times it's not liquid enough for you to sell your whole position in that time frame. So, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, that does nothing for you as an investor. It, it's doing hopefully what I'm doing now, thinking through and saying, this was my thesis. These were the objections from an intelligent and sometimes angry people. This was my response and my conclusion after engaging their objections. This is the decision I made. This is the money I made or lost. <laughs> and here's what I'm going to take away in the future. And that's what I'm doing now, I believe, is what you should do with every single mining investment. And you should be fair. Like, people totally trashed Kevin Drover, and I didn't just go along with it without doing my own critical thinking because, you know, the wisest man ever to live said we should treat other people the way we would want to be treated. And I would ask myself, okay, if I was the CEO, if I put myself in his shoes, how would I want people to critique me even if I fail? And so I am going to put some blame on Kevin, but... I'm not going to put all the blame on Kevin and I'm not going to overly demonize him and not learn from my own mistakes or what I could have done differently as an investor because the only thing I can control is myself. So why did I sell? Well, if you are listening to this on YouTube or you follow my YouTube, I know there's thousands of you that listen in audio form only, but I did a site tour video uh, the end of last year or, or fall, I think September, and that was when the mill was running and they were building up to ramping up production and hoping to be in commercial production there in Colorado very soon. And so looking back now, hindsight is 2020. That video was like the peak of Arcana where I was toured around again with Brian Briggs, the chief operating officer who I consider my friend and really enjoyed uh, spending time with him and going to barbecues at his house and just, just a great guy. Learned a lot from him about mining, underground mining. He, he taught me a lot of things in addition to setting forth the Arcana uh, Silver Investment Thesis to me personally. And then, of course, through all who watched through the YouTube video that was list, watched by tens of thousands of people. And he's gone. Charlie, the mine manager who occurred in that, appeared in that video, he's gone. John, the mill manager who, who put the mill together, He's gone. Gary Lindsay from Corporate Communication, another one of my friends, he's gone. So basically everybody in that video, besides Kevin Drover, the CEO, doesn't even work for the company anymore. The mill is shut down. The mine shut down not long after that. And they ran into all sorts of problems. And 
this this hopes of building up to nine million ounces of annual production silver is now we got two permanent mines. We thought we were close to getting to into production in the the mine in Colorado. We don't have enough money, and it's kind of like we just ran a marathon and we fainted about a quarter mile from the finish line. And so, where it stands, using that analogy, is whoever can come in with uh, 15 or 20 million bucks, whatever they need, and just pick up the lying, exhausted runner there and drag them quarter mile over the finish line, they get the bounty. They get the treasure. You know, I'm told that in terms of golf courses, it's always the third owner that makes the money. The first two, you know, one builds it, but doesn't get his return on investment. The other tries to make it happen, but it's the third guy that comes in after everything's there or most everything is there. Maybe he does a few things differently and comes in with maybe some needed capital to improve this or that. And boom, they're the one that, that, that makes a kill in the third one. Well, that's the way I feel about the RV mine is that the current shareholders of Arcana, there's debt against, secured against that mine. And how is Arcana going to pay it? They can't pay it. So, and they don't have the 15 to 20 million or whatever they need to, 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 to finish the raise and, and do what they need to do. And now they don't have the employees around. You got to go back and hire the employees, but they were so close. And I know this from talking to people that there were a lot of issues talking to people that worked there. There were a lot of issues, but at the same time, Bill, one guy told me just with shaking his head, kind of like a little grief. He's like, we were so close to having this thing in production so close to cash flow, but yet so far away as the share price is 16 cents Canadian as I'm talking to you today, down from a buck 25, you know, 14 months ago and down from 22 cents when I invested in like January of, uh, of 2020. And so they're not going to be able to pay their debtors. If a group comes in and scoops this asset up and if we do have a silver bull market, Somebody else will make money, but I don't think it'll be the, the, the current Arcana shareholders. And mind you, on this, this, uh, this position, you know, I, I had shares in warrants, and those warrants were already worth a lot of money. When they were in the money, you know, if I would have sold them at its peak, I could have bought a house with just the in-the-money portion of the warrants. But again, that's a woulda, coulda, shoulda, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what I'll do differently also here before I conclude. And so... Kevin Drover, although he participated in the last like 35 cent uh, placement, he also was selling shares. And that was like a month, month and a half ago. And I didn't sell my shares. I held out till last week. So if the CEO is selling his shares and the whole story has fallen apart and they don't have means to pay their current debtor, somebody else is going to come in and debtors always go before shareholders. If you're new to this, just know that. When it comes, the, the equity holders are secondary to the debt holders. Also, at this point, Kevin has no credibility with the market. I mean, I'm just stating the obvious here. I told you I would be fair, but they raised via debt structure and like an offtake agreement, uh, the CapEx that was stated in their feasibility study. And then they came on my show. And I remember on that, that episode, the share price was like a dollar twenty-five, and I and I commended management and said, you know, we I featured this company at twenty twenty-five cents. Now you're buck twenty-five. Well done. You know, I'm happy. Other people are happy with their investment. Thank you. And then I I think it was the next day. Then they announced a raise at a dollar, and then they ended up raising like thirty million dollars. And then they ended up doing a full warrant. 
And that frustrated a lot of you, especially because Kevin made his counter argument for why that dollar share price made sense when, when the shares were at a dollar twenty-five, and I think the warrant was at a at a dollar twenty-five. I didn't go back and check every press release to do this monologue. I'm I'm trying to be accurate. I'm probably ninety-five percent accurate in what I'm sharing, but many of you were frustrated, very frustrated, because you took whatever you had and you put it in this company. And then you see this mass load of full warrants. And it wouldn't be the last time they did full warrant, full warrant, full warrant with these, these continued financing when we all thought we were financed to production. And so with all of this money, management could have get it done. And I give them some leeway or don't place full blame on them in that, you know, COVID was a really thing, was a real thing in terms of how it impacted their ability to build out the mine with the restrictions and the workers. And if one guy got COVID, everybody had to go home and they paid them. I give them that. I also give them the fact that infrastructure, the steel, the lumber, just anything you buy, it took forever in terms of the lead time now because of the supply chain disruption and it costs multiples of what was stated in the feasibility study. So I can give them that. I can appreciate that it was, it's hard to build a mill in the winter in the Colorado San Juan mountains in the Rockies. I appreciate that. I can understand where the mill contractor is having a hard time finding qualified labor that will show up when the government in the U.S. is paying people to sit on their behinds on the couch and watch cable all day, okay? I can appreciate those things and I could give them, you say, okay, I understand. But at the same time, when you're leading a public company and you're making public promises and you're asking people like me and others to write checks, which we did, then you need to come through. And if it doesn't come through, it's on you and you need to own it. And so it is management fault that this failed. And that's part of where the market is not going to listen to what Kevin Drover says. And that's another reason why there's, in my view right now, there's, there's no hope for where we stand at 16, 16 cents, that there has to be new management, probably a new group that comes in, takes over that asset. These are just my thoughts, by the way. I'm not speaking... I haven't even talked to Kevin Drover since I did the site tour video last September that I can recall. Definitely not any time in the last four four or five months. And so um, these are just my thoughts as an individual investor uh, that I'm that I'm sharing with you. What would I do differently? Okay, we're getting to some key takeaways here. I took my initial position at 22 cents, as I said. And then when it went up over a buck and then it spiked to a buck 25 and now I'm I'm five times my money. I hadn't sold a share at this point, but hey, I've, I've been around the block enough. This is my seventh year or so uh, investing in these junior mining stocks. When something goes up that fast, it always has a pullback. And I said, this is going to pull back to 90 cents. And so what I did was at that point, um, and then I remember I had hundreds of thousands of, of warrants also that were deeply in the money worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I had massive exposure to the stock uh, at that point too. And so I sold uh, most of my shares above a dollar, even up like a buck 20. And then after that, they announced this this dollar raise. And so I said, okay, what am I going to do? And I decided to put half of it back into the dollar raise to get another full warrant. And just going back to the earlier point, I understand when you're a retail investor, it's frustrating because you're like, I'm holding on to my shares 
and these accredited investors and the companies allowing them to to can sell their shares, buy the same share back and get a full warrant. It's not fair. I agree with you. You know, you got to take that up with the SEC or, or or the laws in Canada and and that's a debatable topic, but it but it isn't fair. But as a retail investor, you just got to be aware of that. And by the way, if you ever see a stock you you own and it seems to be, you know, it falls 10% on massive volume out of nowhere, but you don't know why. And then you notice a pattern a week later, there's a financing that's announced. It's because the people behind the scene, the brokers and so forth, they all know the, the, the financing coming. And it's really bad when there's a full warrant. It's bad when there's a half warrant because investors will sell and then go back into the stock to get the half warrant. But if you give them a full warrant, it's even worse. The, the selling and the volume, and you can look at the Arcana share chart, and over the last two years, you can see that same pattern repeated time and time again. And so I went back in with with half of my gain there. I went back in at a dollar, got a full warrant. And then I think they financed again later at like 72 cents or something like that. And then I, I sold my shares again and went back in at 72 cents to get to get a full warrant. Mind you, I didn't want to see the press release saying we're doing another full warrant. Uh, financing either. I was in at 22 cents. Once you're on the boat, you don't want the share structure to be blown out, especially as quick as they did blow it out. So that's something management did not do well. I understand they would say, well, we just have to give a full warrant. I disagree that there's other teams that that don't give a full warrant. And so I would, looking back, I would not have reinvested at that dollar share price, but I especially made the mistake of going back in at 72 cents and then finally selling out at, at 18 cents. And what I also learned here is that when I'm investing in a pre-production story or a near-term cash flow story, and I get in with a full warrant and I get a good deal, and management says, we're, the next one, we're not going to do a full warrant. I can hope that they don't do a full warrant the next financing before this thing is cash flowing, but hope is not a strategy. The likelihood uh, is that past behavior is the best indicator of future behavior. So if a team is going to issue a full warrant and they can blame it on market conditions and so forth, I need to say to myself, they're going to continue to issue full warrants with every subsequent raise unless they have a history of doing otherwise. And with Arcana, the history was the silver upside was sold, but in order to sell it effectively... We had to give the full warrant. And so that's something I'm going to really consider moving forward. Or if I do invest, because I get a full warrant, I'm going to assume, and when I do my projected fully diluted share uh, table and, and how many shares there's going to be, I'm going to put that into my, my equation in advance. And the third thing is I need to develop a little better and I want to when I take a significant position in, in a company, especially like an underground mine, which is extremely difficult, way more difficult than open pit, I want to develop my legal feedback loops from people not necessarily in management at the company. And I recall back to Rick Rule, where he said uh, when Brian Lenny from Junior Stock Review com and I were interviewing him in one of our 45-minute, what I've called a mentorship session, he said that he developed some really good contacts with the drillers in Nevada by buying them beer, 
getting their contact information. And so some of his best intelligence came through those drillers. Well, Arcana had what they described as a rock movement event in one of their press releases and where they had an issue in one of the almanac races, uh, which yours truly got pumped up, by the way. You know, I'm six foot five and I'm in this little cage going straight up 200 feet in the dark and an air compressor is pushing me up the rail. So that was quite the experience. I didn't tell my wife about it till afterwards because <laughs> she wouldn't like to know what I was about to, to get into. But uh, another takeaway is I appreciate how difficult mining is and how difficult a, a job uh, these miners do and how dangerous it is. And they get, like when you calculate their pay, these guys that were working there and their benefits, their health benefits, they were getting like 200 grand a year, which which is a, that's good money, especially you know, not everybody has to go to college, but you don't go to college. And by the time you're in your late twenties, you know, just learning a trade and you're making 200 grand a year. I understand the work's difficult, but that, but that's good money, but it's difficult. I was in that, in there, right there behind the driller, just me and him for like 15 minutes. And I was just watching him do his thing and drilling and just saying to myself, wow, this is a difficult job. It's a messy job. It's a difficult job. So I appreciate you know, what the miners do and, and the work that's done, you know, we just trade the stocks, but there's a, there's, there's hard work that's done to make these things profitable. So we can see that on the cash flow statement and hope the stock goes up. But I want to develop, going back to my third point, I want to develop my grassroots feedback loop because as an example, when the rock movement event occurred and they had to shut down one of the almanac raises, and this was going to cause huge problems and slow everything down and result in the eventual shutting down of the mine because they ran out of money. Well, the stock was shorted in like that week before that announcement. Well, why? Because the miners are in town. I've been to Ure, this little town, and you've seen it in the video. If you watch my video, they're talking in the barbershops, they're talking in the restaurant, and they're just going to say what occurred. And so if you're an investor in the company and you live there in Ure, it's a small town. You're going to hear that. And boom, you sell your shares. And then what do you do? You short the shares because you heard the, the, the underground miners. And there's not that many underground miners in America. So like they're, they're a network. And so if you can get some intelligence into there, you can get some feedback of what's going on in these underground mines that, you know, you've invested in. And so there were people, which really frustrated me, by the way, and that's something management should have done better. And I haven't even asked them for, for why it took so long to put out the press release, but why was there such a lag between this major event, which crashed the stock. And when you actually told the public what happened, uh, again, I didn't ask management that, but that was a great frustration on my point because you get, we're supposed to, as a publicly traded company, you're supposed to give the market any significant material information all at the same time as soon as possible so we can all make our decisions to buy or sell based upon it. But when a specific group gets this and gets it well before everybody else, they can sell their shares and they make money shorting the shares because they know that what news is on the way. So that was something that uh, I don't think was done right. But I have no hard feelings and um, I like Kevin Drover on a personal level. I like all of the management I met. I had a great time. I learned a lot through the process. If you lost money, if you bought it 50 cents and you're a bag holder, I feel your pain and I understand it's frustration. But, and you may not agree with some of the points. 
And that's good. Just like I didn't agree with a lot of the critiques uh, when people told me not to invest in Arcana. Um, You may not agree with something I said. And good for you. But just be able to defend and articulate your position. And then if you're right, pat yourself on the back. But if you're wrong, critique yourself and see where you went wrong. This is kind of a different monologue. I haven't done one like this. But I wanted to do it because we covered the stock so closely for two years. I took tens of thousands of people on a site tour via video and the wonder of YouTube. So this is my feedback. Many of you have asked for it. I've been silent up until now. Just sold all my shares last week. I wish you the best in your investments. Whether you make money or you lose money, always be learning. Always take responsibility for your actions. I'll see you on the next episode. Bill Powers, signing off. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well, or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.